You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. And we're starting a new series, and I'm really excited about this new series, The Promise. Um, Just like Lowe's and Home Depot, we are going to start Christmas early, all right? So Advent is usually a time of preparation that comes like the first... uh, four weeks prior to Christmas. Um, and so we're just going to start a few weeks early. We're going to go right into our Advent series. We're going to the series called The Promise. And, and we're talking about the wilderness and how God has brought his people through the wilderness and into the promised land. So we're going to be looking at the book of Exodus. Um, and we're going to look at all these stories about God bringing his people from, through the wilderness. And then we're going to see this connection between the stories that, of God bringing them through the wilderness to Jesus. I'm really excited about that because that is the fulfillment of all of his promises is is the person of Jesus. And so um, how many of you ever feel like you're wandering? Yeah, so, all right, let's be, this is a safe place, right? We're all broken people. So ever walk into a room, right? You walk in, you're like, why did I come in here? Like parents, can you, moms, yes, Right? Like you're, you're doing so many things and you're juggling so many balls and then all of a sudden you walk into a room and you're just like, oh, I know I was in here. for," And then it just like destroys you, right? Because you're like, I know, I know I was in here. Um, and you just feel like you're wandering and you feel like you're constantly trying to figure out, maybe, maybe it's because of boredom, uh, maybe it's because of anxiety, maybe it's because we're overwhelmed, maybe it's because we're taking on too much. Um, and throughout this series, we're going to look at the problems that the Israelites faced in the wilderness and how God saved them how God saved them through each and every one of these problems that they faced. Our world around us is a wilderness. I mean, if the last two years can't attest to our world being a wilderness, I mean, that's what it is. I mean, the Bible specifically says that the world, this place that we call home, is actually not our home. The Bible describes us as aliens, as sojourners, that, that we are a people who actually are just passing through. And for those of us who believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that's good news. That this world, that this life that we are experiencing, for those of us that are believers, is the only hell that we will ever experience. The bad stuff, the hurt, the pain, the crying, the tears, the brokenness, this is all of that we'll ever experience in this life. Because when we get to heaven, that's all gone. That's good news because of faith and trust and belief in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That's what we believe. But for some, this may be the only good, the only heaven they may ever experience. Why? Because they don't know Jesus. And God has tasked each and every one of us who profess faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior to go, therefore, and tell others about that good news. Not go and tell people about a religion, right? Christ didn't come to establish a religion. He came to restore a relationship. And he didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And so we bear the good news of Jesus that we get to come and share it with every single person we come into contact with. And that is good news. So, if you're with me, would you open up? Exodus chapter 13. Uh, if you have a Bible, please open it. Uh, version Bible app is a great app to have on your phone um, or your tablet. 
and as well as there are Bibles in the aisles. I want you to hold the Word of God in your hand. So the hope for this series is that we will believe and trust more, that God would stir something in us, that we believe and trust that Jesus is our solution to every wandering, every wilderness, and every problem that we will ever face. And so here's the main idea for today. This is what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at Exodus 13, verse 17 through 22. We're going to look about how God leads his children. That's the main idea for today. If you're a note taker, this is where you shine, right? So God leads his children. And the problem is that following God, allowing God to lead us, it isn't easy. Agreed? Because I want what I want, how I want it, when I want it, and I'm just going to do whatever I need to do to get it. And if it makes sense to me, then I'm going to do it. But if it doesn't make sense, then I'm going to push against it as hard as I can. And I may just be speaking for myself, but I have a feeling that most of us can relate to that. That we don't really like to follow God's leading because God is going to ask us sometimes to do things that we don't want to do. Then what? What happens when what God wants wages war against what we want? Who do you submit to? This guy. Normally. Like, all right, God, I know you want me to do this. Foster care? That sounds crazy. Like, no, I, I, you don't know how many times my wife and I, we have, uh, we've had three foster kids in our home. One of them we've had the ability to adopt. And you know how many times that we've had conversations with people that um, just couldn't wrap their mind around caring for a child and then having to give them back to their family because the number one, the number one goal in foster care is reunification. Um, and so we, for my wife and I, knew that that's what God was calling us to do. We didn't want to do it. That didn't sound like fun. It's not that we don't love enough to where it's like, oh, we're not going to love this kid just like our own kids and then we just love a little bit, you know, care for their basic needs and then send them on back. No, we poured our heart and our souls in these kids because that's what they deserved. That's what God called us to. We didn't want to do it. <laughs> when God says, hey, you see that person over there? They're really having a bad day. Go, go encourage them with this word. Oh, God, that's weird. They're going to think I'm one of those foofy weird people that are, you know, knocking door to door. Man, when God speaks, are we willing to follow? Are we willing to let him lead us to where he knows is best for us? Because when it doesn't make sense to me, I don't want to go there. When it wages war against my self-sufficiency, I don't want to follow. God calls us to follow him. And what we see so clearly in this passage is that he is our leader. Let's read this together. Here's uh, Exodus chapter 13. I'll start in verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. So far, so good. Verse 19. 
Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham, on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Here we see three amazing, awesome truths about how God leads his children. All right, note takers, you ready? I'm just gonna give them to you. Is that good? Number one, God always leads his children for their good and his glory. Number two, God goes before his children. And number three, God will not depart from his children. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. God, I know that um, so often we can come before your word and read it as a history book, as a story, and not really take in how beautiful your words are, the truths about who you are, what your character is. God, ultimately, how you lead us in our lives. So God, I pray that we would hang on to these promises, these truths, and know that no matter where you call us to go, no matter what you tell us to do, God, that you are with us and that you will never lead us, leave us. So God, thank you. Thank you for your word. And I pray that we would honor and glorify you in this time. In your name we pray. Amen. So here's our, our context. When Pharaoh let the people go. So if you're not familiar with the story, there is this people group called the Israelites. And way back in the day, three, four hundred years or so, before this moment, um, there was a family that ended up having to move to Egypt because there was a famine. And then they, start, they, they planted in that land, and then they started growing their family. Well, that family, the Israelites, um, Jacob, who got his name changed to Israel, right? His, the Israelites, his 12 sons, 12 tribes of Israel, right? If, if, you're, if you know anything about the Bible, that may make sense, but if not, it's okay. Um, we'll break that down a little bit in weeks come. Um, so the Israelites started growing in numbers. And the Egyptians, whose land they were dwelling in, got scared that they were going to get overthrown or overtaken by the Israelites because they were becoming huge in number, right? They were being fruitful. They were multiplying, okay? And so what did the Egypt, uh, Egyptians do? They started to oppress them, and they took them as slaves. And so they started enslaving these Israelites for hundreds of years. So God speaks to a man named Moses, a man who was not the greatest communicator, not the greatest leader, not the greatest speaker, all those things. And he says, I want you to go to Pharaoh, which he was actually able to do because he was adopted by the Pharaoh's daughter, and go in and, and I want you to tell him to let my people go. And so then there were all these plagues that happened, these things, and we, we, we've kind of heard about these things, the 10 plagues that uh, he turned the water into blood, and then there were like all these frogs and all these flies and all this crazy stuff that happened. God was revealing his power to the Israelites. And then finally, God sends an angel of death, and he says, I want you to take this lamb, this perfect lamb, and I want you to paint blood 
on the doorposts. And, and if, if you trust in me and believe in me and you're one of my people, you will have this blood painted on your doorpost so the angel of death will pass by. But if you don't have this blood painted on your doorpost, then the angel of death will kill the firstborn in every household. And so what happens? The angel of death comes through and there's great wailing in the land because all of these children died, but God saved the people of Israel and their children. And then so finally, that was the thing that God used to get Pharaoh to let his people go. So Pharaoh says, go, get out of here. I don't even want to see you anymore. And so the Israelites end up plundering the Egyptians. They take livestock, they take gold, they take all this stuff, and they gather their things. We're talking a ton of people, potentially millions of people, that they grab their stuff and they start walking out to go to where God said is the promised land. That's where we're picking up the story here. So we pick it up and it says this. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. Why? For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Right? Makes sense. God is leading them into the wilderness because it is better for them because if they go to the land of the Philistines, they're going to get into an immediate battle, immediate war. And he's like, I'm not going to lead them that way. I'm going to lead them this way. Good so far. Verse 18. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. And so the people of Israel went up out of the land. They have all this stuff and they were equipped for battle. Here's what we see in these words. That God always leads his children for their good and his glory. He knows this is better for them to go this way. Does it mean that it's going to be easier? See, here's, here's where I think we really mess this up. For some reason, some people in our culture have read this book and said, it's all about health, wealth, and happiness. If you believe in Jesus, your life is going to be all cupcakes and rainbows, right? Everything's going to be perfect, and you're just going to smooth sail through life. And if you're, if you're not doing this right, then obviously, you know, things will be bad. But if you're doing this right, then you're going to have everything you've ever wanted and ever dreamed of. And so... That's what they take when they read this. But that's actually never promised to us in Scripture, that if you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that things will be easy or simple or prosperous financially. But he does promise to do everything for our good and his glory. Now, we know the rest of the story. Now, I'm not going to spoil future weeks because we're going to be talking about this just next week when we talk about uh, God parting the Red Sea. But we know the rest of the story. See, they're leading into the way of the wilderness, now, the plan was is for them to go through the wilderness, and there's a map. Is that map up there? Sweet. So, I don't know if you can see this, but the brown line that goes up off the top, that's the way of the Philistines. That's where God was not going to lead them because that's going to lead to war. Instead, the red line, he leads them, and this is where we're going to be over here, over where the Red Sea is, this little kind of peninsula of water over here. That's where they're ending up right now. Now, the plan was is for God to lead them through the wilderness all the way up to the promised land, which is in that top corner up there. Um, but, but here's the thing. They end up wandering for 40 years. And you say, well, how's that for their good and God's glory? Well, that was actually a punishment for the sins of the people not trusting in God. And so we're going to see that in future weeks. But right now, he's leading them this way, and they think everything's all good except for the fact that they're going to be with their backs, their backs 
pinned up against a sea. And Pharaoh is going to change his mind. Just because Pharaoh wanted to change his mind? No, because God changed his mind. So God changes Pharaoh's mind. He takes his army and starts chasing after the Israelites after they leave. Now there's an army in the front and there's a sea behind them. And this is exactly where God led them. Now, in my selfish humanness, I don't even know if that's a word. I say, well, that doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem good. God is about to do something epic. God is about to rock their worlds and reveal his power in a way that they have never seen before, even after seeing all these amazing things. I mean, I want you to think about the things that they've been seeing. I mean, they, they saw um, he, he freed them with the plagues. He saved their babies. He secured their wealth. He's telling them, I'm leading you to the promised land. But like, they don't know yet as God is going to lead them to a place where they will be stuck. Many of us start out our relationship with God in this way. We think that everything's just going to be perfect. We think that there's a place called heaven where we get to be with God and a place called hell where we just don't want to be there. We don't want to know about it. We don't know what it's going to be like. We just, we, and so what's the options? It's heaven and hell. And then how do we get there? Just believe in God. And it's okay. And so we pick up our get out of hell free card and then we walk over here and then we just live life ever, however we want it, not worrying about how God's leading us, not pressing into the spirit, not, not saying, God, what do you want? We just think we have this card, right? It's this, this ultimate trump card that we're just like, okay, we're out of, We're not going to go to hell. We got this card, so now we're just going to do whatever we want along the way. But God says that if you believe in me as your Lord and Savior, then you will follow me. See, in my own life, I was thinking about this, about when I first became a Christian, I was, I was young. And you know why? Because I did not want to go to hell. Actually, my church did a really good job of scaring the hell out of me. Like, I mean, we did plays where there were demons and angels and I was one of the kids that was getting dragged into hell. And so, like, I remember it. Like, I was kicking and screaming going, well, if this is this terrible. <laughs> like, I don't want this. And so, Jesus, forgive me, right? And I tried to be a really good kid because I thought that my goodness was going to bring me into heaven. Not Jesus' perfection. We'll get there. So they did a really good job of, of of teaching me that I didn't want to go to hell. But then when I was 11, my cousin John died. I didn't like that. That rocked my world. 16, my friend Stephen died. 17, my parents divorced. Then I got married to this amazing woman. We had trouble getting pregnant, then we had our first daughter, Selah. And then we had a miscarriage. And then another miscarriage. When you're going through those things, death of loved ones, divorce, hurt, pain, brokenness, miscarriage, you're sitting there going, God, why? Why is this happening? Why is my back pinned up against the sea and this army is coming after me? I don't get it. I don't understand. I tell you what, when I look at Everly's face on the front row, when she looks up to me. She's singing praises to Jesus. I never would have had her if it wasn't for those two miscarriages. I didn't know that then. When my cousin John died at 11, God, why would you let this happen? 
You know what I would say is one of the main reasons why I do ministry today? It's because of that moment. So when we look at Scripture, we see that God has a plan and a purpose for every single person in this room. And there is hurt, and there is pain, and there is suffering. That is going to happen to us in this world. But every single thing that we will ever experience in our lives is for our good and his glory if we are his children. We trust in him. Why would God do this? James 1, 20, James 1, 2 through 4. We also see this in Romans 5, 3 and 4. 2 Peter 2, 1, 5 and 6. So if you're one of those people that actually read Scripture and see conflicts, and you're like, well, Peter and Paul and James, they don't really line up. Well, here's three guys saying the same exact thing. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. God is not after our independence. He is after our dependence. He wants us to fully surrender every area of our life, good, bad, and all the in-between, to him and him alone, and allow him to lead us to wherever he says that we should go. If everything is perfect in my life, if I have everything I want, I never experience any heartache, any pain, any suffering, then I have no need for God. That is why our unbelieving world doesn't believe in God because they have found self-sufficiency in themselves. We can do it on our own. We've got this. We live in America. Land of the free, home of the brave. That used to be our slogan. Does it seem like that anymore? Not so much land of the free. Not so much home of the brave. So what do we do? We put our hope in America. Hang our flags. Trumpet. We sound the horn. I love America. I love being here. I love the freedoms that we have. But you know what we've lost along the way? Dependency on God. Now we just stamp our God in God we trust. Hashtag creed. No one knows creed. No one knows the band creed, huh? All right. Old rock reference, I guess. So, that just fell flat. Thanks, guys. Here's the second truth that we see here. God goes before his children. Look at verse 19. Because we start reading about someone's bones and we like kind of tune out, I think. Right? Tune out and we're like, oh, she's talking about Joseph's bones. We don't really need to know that part. What does Joseph say? This is about 300 years prior to this moment when they're about to leave the land of Egypt. He says, hey, when you get to leave, take my bones. Notice what he says, when you get to leave. Verse 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because 
For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you. Do you think maybe 10 years after Joseph said this, Joseph was dead, and people are looking back going, God, you said you were going to visit us. Then 20 years, then 50 years, then 100 years. How many people do you think remembered that Joseph even said that 300 years later? What does Joseph say? God is going to visit you because God goes before his children. He knows what is to come. He, know, he knew Everly before Everly ever existed. And he knew that we were going to experience the, the pain and suffering of miscarriage so that we can experience that sweet little girl. We didn't know that, but he knows that because he is all-knowing and he is all-powerful and he is everywhere. He is equally present inside of time as he is outside of time. And so Joseph, because he trusted in God, said, God will surely visit you. He will surely save you. And then what does it say? Verse 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night a pillar of fire to give them light that they may travel by day and by night. To lead them, and to give them light. Lead them and to give them light. But pastor, I don't always feel and see God. Life doesn't seem like light right now. I don't feel like I'm being lead, led anywhere. I'm wandering. Well, look at the promise that we see in verse 22. This character of God that we must hold fast to. Whenever the devil is telling you lies, I was experiencing this last night. I was waking up uh, often with one of our kids and with uh, just tossing and turning. And um, I felt like the devil was just speaking lies to me in those moments. Knowing verses like this is our weapon against those things. Look at verse 22. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not, what does that word say? Depart. Did not depart from before the people. We have a God that does not leave us. We have a God that does not depart from us. And the key here is God will not depart from his children. See, the Bible speaks of the fact that we are adopted. When we place faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are adopted. Romans 8, Galatians 4. And then in Romans 8.30, this is what we see. And those whom he predestined, he also called. In case you were wondering, predestined there, it means predestined. We don't need to change that word. And you want to know what called means? It means called. You're like, well, pastors, I mean you're a Calvinist? No. Does it mean you're Arminius? No. It means I'm a child of God because that's the Bible that my father uses. That's the words that my father uses in his words. So I'm just going to go ahead and use them. That's okay. He's predestined. For those whom he predestined, he also called. And to those whom he called, he also justified. That's a verdict, right? Guilty, not guilty. So for those whom he predestined, he justifies. And then it says, and those whom he justifies, he also, in the same sense, glorifies. What does that mean? For those whom he declares not guilty, they will be with him in heaven. God will never, ever, ever, ever leave you if you are one of his children. He will never leave you or forsake you. He will always be there for you. But I don't feel it. Well, good news is that God doesn't depend on your feelings. Doesn't depend on my feelings. 
my feelings are all over the map sometimes. He will never leave me because that's his character, because I'm one of his children. How do I know? Well, when things couldn't get any worse, when things couldn't get any worse, a baby was born. Wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in a manger. God fulfills his promise to lead his children through the person of Jesus. That's how we know God is for us. Because all of this, the, the, the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, all of that is a foreshadowing of the person of Jesus. That we get to place our faith in Jesus, a person. So where do we see this? Well, Galatians 3.16 is talking about a promise that's found in Genesis 15. So way back, way in Genesis. Galatians 3.16, this is Paul. He says, now the promises that were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring. And then this is what Paul says, who is Christ? That's the fulfillment of the promise. So we have this huge series that's called The Promise. What are we talking about? The promise, Jesus Christ. So Luke 4, verses 14 through 21, you see Jesus. He's older than a baby now. He's in the temple. And he walks up and they ask him to read a passage of scripture. So he opens up this scroll and he reads this passage. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind. To lead and light. Lead and light. Do you see the connection? The cloud and the fire. Lead and light. I've come to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolls up the scroll and Mike drops it and says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, proclaiming that he is the fulfillment of that passage from one of the prophets. He is the promise. He is the fulfillment of what we're seeing here in this passage in Exodus. So the people are following this pillar of cloud and they're following this pillar of fire. And they're going to find themselves at the edge of the Dead Sea, the Red Sea, and with the army coming after them. And we look at that and go, praise God for Jesus who has saved us from every trap, every wilderness that we will ever face in our entire life. And that Jesus in Matthew 4.19 says, follow me. Because I'm going to make you fishers of men. Are you willing to follow him? Are you willing to do what he says for you to do? He was born to lead us. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other options here. There's no other way to get into heaven. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. And you're not going to add anything to Jesus either. Jesus plus all these works, then you can be saved. No, no, no. Jesus alone. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So the question today is, who are you following? Who are you following? Don't look at your spouse or your neighbor or your boyfriend or the person next to you, your son, daughter, right? 
Who are you following? And if I were to ask all those people that you want to nudge right now, what the answer would be for you, I wonder what they would say. Would they say, oh yeah, he's following Jesus. She's following Jesus. Or is it easier to say, no, they're following what they want, what they desire, what they want to do. Or they're following this thing, or this social media, or this political person, or this party, or this whatever. Who are you following? Is Jesus leading you to the promised land? Or are you in some way, shape, or form trying to pave your own path? So the band's going to come on up, and, and here's how I want us to respond. I want us to sit in this. This is going to start off the next eight weeks of, of our church family's life, that we're going to sit in this promise. We're going to walk with the people through the wilderness and see how Jesus, how God, how the Holy Spirit over and over and over again has fulfilled his promise to them, has protected his people, has saved his people, and then ultimately how that leads us to Jesus. My question for you this morning is, are you trusting in Jesus? Are you following him? For when he says to you, do this, are you willing to say, yes, Lord, with full abandon? I don't care what the ramifications are, what the consequences are. I am going to do what you said I'm going to do. Now, here's one quick filter. If you feel like God is telling you to do something, filter it through this. Because often I hear people saying, well, yeah, God told me to do blah, blah, blah. I go, uh, that seems to go against this. So I want to make sure that we have a right filter. So then it's like, well, how do we know? Well, if it aligns with this, then do it. Do it. And allow the Lord to stir something in you that you've never experienced before. Because every time I step out in faith for what the Lord calls me to do, he stirs a new affection. He stirs a new enjoyment of himself in me that I've never experienced before. He doesn't replicate old experiences. God is not a replicator. He's a creator. Yeah, the God that spoke the mountains, the God that spoke the rivers, the animals into being, He's not just going to replicate experiences that you had when you were a teenager and you went to band camp or youth camp or whatever. He's a creator. And right now, starting in this place, going out from here into the week and everyday life, God wants to create something new in each and every one of us. Are you willing to follow him there? Are you willing to surrender it all? I pray for us. Jesus. We sing songs like where you lead I will follow and I surrender all. God, that is one of the most difficult things ever. And in and of ourselves, God, we actually do not have the power to fulfill that promise. But you do. And the spirit that dwells within us, that you have given us, from the moment that you have justified us, has the ability and the power to lead us to a place where we can trust you fully and surrender to you fully. And so God, I pray that you would begin a new work, a new work in every single person here. God, in every single church in this area that calls 
their home to be a church that stands firm on the gospel, on the good news of Jesus. For every single person today that is uh, maybe going to a church building, a park, a home, meeting at a, uh, a coffee shop where two or more are gathered in your name, God. God, I pray that your good news would go forth. I pray that you would spark something new in your church, God. America is hurting because we have lost our faith in you. So God, I pray that we would be the change. I pray that we would be the people, God, that would surrender to you in such a way that, that this would spark in us a desire to see change and transformation happen through the power of your Holy Spirit. If there's anybody here today that hasn't placed their faith and their hope and their trust fully in you, God, I pray that you would enable them to surrender. God, you say in your word that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But I pray that those people would not wait for one day because you also say that today is the day of salvation. So God, I pray that for them today would be a day where they close their eyes, where they look to you and they surrender their lives fully in you. All of their questions may not be answered. All of their doubts may not be fully wrapped up, but that they would surrender and that you would do that work right now. God, we love you. We thank you. And I pray that this time that we sing to you would be a time that would be a sweet song unto your ears. In your name we pray. Amen.